0: It's, uh, it's winter, isn't it? It's winter, it is. Well, we, uh, we, we are, ironically, talking about spring today. And uh, when, we, when I saw the forecast earlier in the week, I thought, that's funny, God. That's hilarious. So, it's... it's uh, I was talking to Chris. Bill Schneider's up teaching some skiing in Vail. It's 20 in Vail today. Yeah, five below here. So, uh, something... Jesus is about to come back or something. I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> the this, this season that we're in, winter, uh, of course, will come up in this series. But I want to give you some context that we laid the groundwork for, and we'll say it every week, maybe in a little bit different way. But hopefully, there'll be some things that we say today that were similar last week, but help you in a different way. We began by helping us all understand that all of life is seasonal. All of it is seasonal. And it doesn't matter whether it's the the weather or the agricultural world or your life or your relationships or your parenting or your career, your health, all of life is seasonal. And these cycles, whether we see the earth tilting away from the sun or seeds coming up out of the ground or the tides going in and out if we were coastal people, all of the seasons are obvious in every physical way and in every metaphorical way. And we see this, we feel it and we know it It's because God is a designer and he designed life that way. And if we didn't have seasons, I cannot even begin to fathom what it would be like if everything were on all the time or warm all the time or cold all the time. But we see these cycles, and your life is seasonal too, and you are in some seasons right now. And those seasons are felt by you, and you discern them. Sometimes, if you're like me, a little slow to the punch or a little slow in learning, then you discern these seasons after they've happened. And somebody says to you, boy, look at, look at what occurred. And we look back and we say, boy, that was an interesting season filled with, and I can recollect and think and remember. But of course, the challenge is, and the challenge that we're going to find through this series and our thoughts is that it can be quite difficult to know and discern which season you're in. Today it's not. Today we know, right? It's winter. This is the deal. But the seasons that we experience in Colorado, as we illustrated last week, sometimes the weather plays tricks on us and we have no idea. Sometimes our life takes a turn and we're not sure what season it is. But discerning and knowing, that's the task at hand. That's why we're digging into this thought process and the story of Joseph. We'll get into that in a little bit. That is why we are trying to lean into this idea because you're in a variety of seasons in different parts of your life and your ability to know and then discern is gonna make the difference between whether you're walking in the flow of things or fighting against the things that are gonna be coming about in your life whether you want them or not. It it has to do with the activities and where you spend your energy and your focus and the fruit that will grow. It's in fact so important that we learn the hardest and toughest lessons of life when we misunderstand the season that we're in. And the understanding that we have brings wisdom. I started reading a book recently. This is a book. It's called From Strength to Strength, New York Times bestseller, Arthur C. Brooks, professor, uh, writer for The Atlantic. And my friend was reading it, and uh, my other friend had read it, and they suggested that I read it, and we would all discuss it together. We're all about the same age. And when I say about the same age, I'm older than they are, but so we're about the same age, is what I say. (laughs) They would say, you know, Phil's older than us, but I would say we're all about the same age. And uh, when I saw the book in in the the, the title, From Strength to Strength. I thought, I don't, I don't know what this is about, but then I see the little tag Finding Success and Happiness and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. And there was a little of me that was a tiny bit offended by the title. Um, But then I thought, and I did the math, unless I live to be 114, I'm in fact in the second half of my life. And so there's a good chance, there's a good chance this book might have something for me to say, to to hear and and to learn. And so uh, I began reading the book. Early in the book, I come across this, this quote. Here is the reality. In practically every high skill profession, decline sets in sometime between one's late thirties and early fifties. And then the author as if he didn't just, you know, destroy me, he says, sorry, I know that stings. I thought, you gotta be kidding me. That's just, first of all, that's not true. That's what I thought when I read it. That's just not true. I don't know why he would in a New York times bestseller say something without any foundation, without any, any credence, without any proof and say something that, that ridiculous, I almost threw the, if I didn't, if I read paper books still, I would have thrown it across the room, but I've got a Kindle. It costs a little more than a paper book. And so I'm going to metaphorically throw this thing across the room. And then he says this and it gets worse. <laughs> the more accomplished one is at the peak of one's career, the more pronounced decline seems once it has set in. And I texted my buddies in our little group text and said, who recommended this stupid book (laughs) that is suggesting that I am past my prime? This is, I mean, what a way to begin the year. I did not appreciate this. And my one fellow who, uh, one good buddy who's a little less tactful than the other, um, he, this is what he texted back. He said, dude, you are so far past your prime, you can't even see it. (laughs) That's what he said. And I, my former friend, you know, I mean, I've totally written him off now. Uh, I just, I, I couldn't, couldn't believe it. And so I, I'm reading this and so he, he's right, it, it does get worse. In fact, the feeling I had, why would he say something so unfounded without any evidence or credence? What follows these two paragraphs are about 15 pages of evidence and, and credence that explain that if you are in a creative field, if you do thought work, then the earlier ages are more appropriate for you. That they do, Your decline does begin in your early 30s, mid-30s, late-30s for sure. Uh, he, there, there is some, some good news if you are a geologist. <laughs> so if you study rocks, if you study rocks, your decline begins in your early 50s. And then pretty much anything else is, is closer to the earlier span of this time. And I just couldn't believe it. I began reading and reading and digging and it hit me, just my feelings around this idea or how I perceive myself line up with an article that I read much earlier in the year that says, when people imagine their age, not their literal age, although I have to often ask Donna, how old am I? But try to indicate it's up there. You know what I'm saying? when we imagine our age or who we are similar age with, every one of us, it doesn't matter how old you are. We all imagine ourselves on average 10 years younger than we actually are. Which I, I'm, I think I, she's not here, so I have to guess. I'm 56, I think. Um, and so, which means I see a 46-year-old and I think, me and you, man, we're, we're in there together. We're in this together. <laughs> And he's looking at me thinking, oh no, he sees the 36-year-old and says, me and you, man, we're in this together. He sees me and sees grandpa, right? And this is, all of these things help us understand the depth of this reality that it can be quite difficult to know and discern what season you're in. And, and the truth is, and this is the, the stark reality that this, this series will help us face slowly and thoughtfully, hopefully, you may not even want to know. You really might not want to know. But we remain ignorant to our detriment because every season that God has given us is filled with incredible depth and wonder and beauty and purpose if we can embrace it for its purpose and what it is. And they all have different reasons. They all have a different purpose So let's drill down on this metaphor just a little bit before we get into what today is all about. Let's think about this metaphor broadly and then a little more specifically. Here's what it says in the Psalms. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. That's good, isn't it? How do you feel, Dave Ells? (laughs) Dave Ells crossed the 80. What, 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 What does that say about Dave's strength? What is his strength doing? enduring it's enduring not half dave you're killing it you're you're... our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures so let's think of this life this 80 year old life in terms of a season because you and i were in a season in our life in fact we're in multiple seasons but for this larger metaphor we're in a season of our life so we would break the season how many seasons are there good, yeah, you're, you're awake, and these four seasons, let's just say that they're about the same length, although that's not really true, is it? They are. Each season isn't three months long through the year. Sometimes spring lasts forever, sometimes winter lasts just a short time. But let's just, for the sake of uh, this metaphor, this discussion, each season is about 20 years. And so you find yourself as a young person going through middle school and high school and moving toward college, you're in you're in what we would call the spring of life. And it lasts, what we'll say about 20 years. And then you make a turn a corner and then you are finding yourself in the incredible thriving and growing and warm and fun, beautiful summer of your life. It lasts about how long? 20 about 20 years, that's right. And then you find yourself in what we might call the, the autumn or the fall of your life, which has some incredible things. In fact, most of you said last week that fall was your favorite season. That was, the, that was most of you, probably, you know, because we're getting up there, right? But not all of us. We love fall for lots of reasons. It has some beauty and incredible outdoor opportunities. Still, fall's incredible. Fall lasts for about 20 years, 40 to about 60 or so. Absolutely, 60. Not before 60. I'm certain. <laughs> and then, then we find ourselves in what we would call the winter of our life. And and of course, this this metaphor is is loose. All metaphors. The language of metaphor, it's to get a a feel or to get an understanding, isn't it? Uh, All metaphors are imprecise. All analogies break down if we press them too far. But we can say that if somebody does live 70 years or 80, if the strength endures, the way the psalmist says, that there is an arc of life that involves probably a flow of some kind from a spring to a summer to a fall and then to a winter. And you can experience it and see it. and Maybe you saw it in the lives of your grandparents. Maybe you saw it in the lives of your parents. Maybe you feel it in your own life. And if that's the case, then what Mr. Brooks wrote in his book, this New York Times bestseller, clearly is true. That there is a a moment in my life now, the season that I'm in, is something like late fall. I can see winter from where I am. And that's if, that's if I've got 70 years. We don't know, right? That's the big X factor, isn't it? None of us know what we have. And this is just an average, but 80 if my strength endures. Let's hope that my strength endures. And so all of our life is seasonal, all of it. And it's critical for us to understand which season that we're in. And yet, parts of our life might be in different seasons. We understand this arc, this full 80-year arc, uh, this, this cycle from natural life of spring, summer, fall, and winter. But there are parts of your life that are in all kinds of places. There are some parts of your life that are in autumn, and you're in really the spring age of your life. There are parts of you and your story and your experience that are in spring, and yet you may find yourself chronologically closer to winter in your age. In other words, we might be older, we might be younger, but we find ourselves experiencing all of these seasons in unique ways. It might be your career, it might be a relationship, it might be an endeavor that you're engaging in. So with this in mind, we recognize that all of the seasons become important to us. All of them do. Because we're going to experience them not just once at a time, 20 years and done, but over and over and over again. And our adeptness at discerning and knowing means that we will then change whatever we're engaged in, whatever endeavors or as Solomon called it, activities or purposes under heaven. Here's how he said it in Ecclesiastes. We read this last week. There is, and I like this version. This is the message uh, paraphrase. There is a what? opportune time to do things. And then he says what? A, a right time for everything under heaven. Knowing and discerning the season. Well, that's, uh, that's what we would call wisdom. And this wisdom means that we're able to see it, lean into it, understand the difference, And then we pick up the right tool. We engage in the right thing. We embrace the current moment because the weather is happening and we experience it. He goes on to say this. There's a right time to plant, this is further down, and another to reap. A little further down, he says this. There's a right time to what? And another to speak up. How many times do you wish you knew which season it was? Or when have you lived in your life and violated this that you thought, you know what, I, I feel like reaping. I need, You know what I need? What I need is to be doing some reaping. I need a harvest. And, and yet you're not in the autumn of your life or the autumn of your career or the autumn of your financial investments. But you need the reaping and you find yourself pulling out before you should when you should be planting, knowing and discerning the seasons. This, this is what it's about. And so what we're going to do as we go through this series, we allow this metaphor to speak into the various places in your life. And, and what you'll do is you'll discover, oh, there, there's a part of my life that is in this season. And even in the arc of my understanding of my life, I think I'm not yet to, you fill in the blank. And as you do, you're going to ponder and consider, use this filter to consider that things that you're engaged in, where you are spending your focus and your time and your energy, understanding and discerning the season. And to help us do that, we'll use the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph, he's one of the patriarchs that are told story-wise, narrative-wise in the book of Genesis. And By the time we get to Joseph's life, Abraham, Isaac, his dad, Jacob, and now Joseph, These patriarchs of the Old Testament that set the course for the nation of Israel. Abraham came along before Israel was even in Israel. And God called him and his family began to multiply as many as there were stars in the sky. And then three generations later, Joseph shows up on the scene. And you could begin to read his story a little bit earlier. Joseph is mentioned, but his life story narrative really begins in Genesis 37. And so I encourage you to just open up and read. You'll read a few chapters, you'll dig in. And as you read the story of his life, you'll begin to see it. If you're familiar with his story, then the metaphor of seasons will jump out at you. You'll go, oh, I see it, I see it now, this this understanding. If you're not familiar with Joseph's life, then it's an absolute incredible tale. And it is an amazing, it's become a Broadway musical. It's an, an amazing story of a life that has ups and downs good and bad God is present through all of it well it's a lot like your life and you'll see your own story and Joseph's story maybe in many ways when Genesis 37 begins to tell a story if we hop down to the middle of the chapter we get a glimpse of a moment and here's that moment so Joseph went after his brothers Joseph was one of many brothers sons and half-brothers and so on. Joseph went after his brothers, whom he worked for out in the fields, and he found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance. And they said, say it with me. what they say to him? Here comes that dreamer. It's a great little line that you'll see plays into the context of Joseph and his life. They said to each other, but then his brothers say something else in that same conversation. Come now, let's kill him. It's not your normal family. (laughs) It's a dysfunctional family. And this family has a long history of dysfunction. And this dysfunction begins to show up in significant ways when Joseph comes on the scene and begins to experience life in his spring. So let's go back to the beginning of the chapter and, and set the stage for what you might read this week and what you might learn from Joseph in the season that he's in. Beginning of the chapter, it says this. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for the family in the family business. He worked with and for his brothers. And Joseph, as a young man, he's in this spring of his life. He's, he's putting his, his wings out. He's trying to figure out what... Where is he headed? What's he going to be doing? What's life going to be like? And he finds himself in the company of men. And in this scenario, he's leaving home. He's understanding what independence and freedom looks like. All of the college students that we prayed for last spring, as they began to spread their wings a bit, and we send them out every year with our prayers and hopes. I can see the look on many of your faces as we pray for them, knowing that they're about to enter a world that they know a little something about, but not near as much as you know about this world. And they find themselves in places where they're learning about how relationships work, what kind of dynamics are at play, what can they count on. And those of us who are 40 and above, we know that what they do know pales in comparison to what they will learn. And we hope and pray for God to protect their hearts and guide them and lead them. And as they go down this path of self discovery, this is Joseph's spring, and he's experiencing it. 17, he's going out. First verse of the chapter explained a little bit about Joseph and his relationship to his brothers and his relationship to his dad. And as the story begins to unfold, we read these details. Some of these details are these. Jacob, dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been bored to him in his old age, his, his autumn, more likely his winter. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, and he gave it to him. This is the the title of the, the Broadway musical about his life, this this technicolor dream coat, right? And this this symbol of favoritism, this this besetting original sin of the patriarch's favoritism. How many of you grew up in a family that had favoritism as a, a fixture? Let me see your hands. How many of you were the favorite? How many of you were not the favorite? How many of you thought you were the favorite and found out you weren't the favorite? (laughs) When the boys were little, Donna and I could tell that we were drawn to, we have two two boys. Each of us were, uh, we saw a weird combination of both of us and both boys. But we saw in each of them sort of a a likeness to, to each of us, one of us. And there is a, an understanding that happens between the parent and the child in this way that you, you know, like I, I get you, right? I, I know you. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I know how your brain works. I know what your heart wants. Those kinds of things. If you have kids, this is, or more more than a few kids, you probably see this in different ways in all your kids. And so, the idea that you would have a favorite kid, it just seems incomprehensible. It really does. I, you know, of course love both boys, but I kind of get one of them a little more. Of course, the fear would be that they would sense this, right? The fear would be that they would know it and that, that they would discover it. And so as they got older, Donna and I heard about one of their conversations as older teenagers and they were comparing notes on mom and dad. And one of them said, you know, ah, we they were talking about a thing they shouldn't have done or did or, you know, we'll leave that for another sermon. But one of them said, we, 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 we can't tell dad. And the other one said, well, you're worried about telling dad? Mom's the one you should worry about. And they realized their perspective, it's like they had four parents. Their perspective on us were not, and they thought, oh, my goodness, I have not seen So this relationship of what could be the seeds of favoritism so very early that the patriarchs, all the families in Genesis, if you read the stories, you'll see, they leaned into it and they allowed it to be present. And we came across this book when the boys were young that uh, the title of it is I Love You the Purplest. And it's this, this mom talking about her feelings about her two boys and that one has this this flavor, it's, it's red. And another has this flavor and it's blue. And she uses colors to describe her affection for the boys so that they cannot grade them as better or worse or more intense or less. And then she says to both of them near the end of the book, of course, we do know what red and blue may, I, I love you the what? I love you the purplest. This dysfunction in the patriarchs Found itself into the relationships of the kids. And it created a dysfunction that would last for generations. And as you parent and as you go through the seasons that you're in, in parenting or with other people in your life that you may have a tendency, not just in your family, but to show favoritism toward, what we're really talking about is the depth of love and acceptance and affirmation, right? And what God has called us to is to love without conditions, the way that he loves us. So Joseph unwittingly doesn't understand the world of parenting. Unwittingly, he doesn't understand the effect that it's had on his brothers long before he was even born, or how the culture of this family is going to deeply impact the entirety of his life. But it will affect the seasons that he goes through. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other children. Gave him this robe. And he does. He gives him a robe. And the brothers could feel it. Of course. And the brothers experienced it. It's just part of the family system. And in the context of this family system, this happened. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. This is the... The air they breathe, it's their atmosphere. They didn't understand it. Now, it's the nature of a spring season when you're in it. And so if you're in your 20, you know, years 20 years of life, if you're in that 15 to 25, you know, spring, again, imprecise metaphor, then you might experience some of the same things that Joseph experienced. There is a, a naive sense of your life that you walk with because the world well it has yet to teach us a lot right and there is also a sense of very fresh eyes that you're given when you're in the spring season of your life I mean if you start a new job even even if you're in a uh, a later season in your life you started a new job and you walked into the job and you looked around and you said something like why do y'all do that around here like that way And they go, you know, I guess you don't know the history because you are in the spring season of this new job, a new thing in your life. Joseph walks into this season of his life with a sense of naivete that is going to cost him dearly. And this is how it costs him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. Now, you're going to go ahead and read it, but try not to. I mean, you know what it says if you know the story. But Joseph is just wanting to recount this dream. That's all he's wanting to do. He's he's had a dream. He's kind of excited about it. He thinks it's pretty interesting. And it maybe paints a picture of a hope for his future or some, some, maybe he thought it was just weird because he knows his brothers are strong and powerful. So he thinks it's ironic. I don't know. But he's going to share this dream. And he does so thinking they're going to go, Wow, that's very interesting, Joseph. This is what Joseph thinks. Listen to this dream, he says. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. I've got two brothers, and I can tell you, I'm a middle child explains so much about my personality and who I am. I can tell you that there were times growing up where I... I mean I didn't go this far but I said some things that I thought were just observatory and interesting and just nearly got the stuffing beat out of me Joseph's naivete makes sense to me in the spring of his life and being naive is a gift it's a gift on the other side of naive is often things like jaded calloused unbelief the beauty of spring and if you aren't in spring I'm looking around and not many of you are in spring I'm just saying (laughs) if you aren't in spring and somebody around you is be so gentle and careful do not beat the spring out of them (laughs) and I know your tendency is the same as my tendency somebody shows up and they're in spring and we just shake our heads, you know. Life will teach them, life will teach them. you know. Or we might think if we're compassionate, I don't want life to teach them, I should teach them all about the rest of it now. And the result is, is we, we just wring the optimism right out of them. Some of the most amazing things that have been accomplished have been accomplished by people who have not learned yet to be pessimistic and believed for the impossible. And what did they experience? The absolute impossible. And we sit back and go, I couldn't have predicted that. No, because you're calloused and jaded and, and life has wrung the optimism out of you. You don't have to be in your 20s to be optimistic, naive, and hopeful. Some of you carry that with you naturally. And you walk into a new situation and you believe the best in people. And that is a gift. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. And for goodness sakes, those of us who are, you know, wiser and more sage, be gentle with those around us that are in the spring of their life or the spring of a new experience. Because that is a beautiful, a beautiful time that is filled with incredible uniqueness. And so there'll be people around you that are like that, that are just like Joseph. And so they hated him. They hated him more for it. And Joseph wasn't done yet. Soon Joseph had another dream and he didn't even read the room. You know what I mean? He didn't, he didn't think, you know, I told that dream, that didn't go so good. They looked like they were, you know, smoke was coming out of his ears. They, they didn't know, he didn't think that. Soon he had another dream, and again he told his brothers, listen, I, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. He even tells this one to his whole family. And even his dad's like, hush it, man, this is not, not wise. And the brothers hated him more for it, but the, the text in Genesis 37 says that, well, his dad, though, just kind of pondered it. It's almost like what, what happened with Mary and the angel? He, he just begins to wonder, what does this mean? What does this mean for my family? What does this mean for my son? And so Joseph is sent out to check on his brothers one day. And when he does, his brother saw him coming and they recognized him in the distance. And he is, as he approached, they made plans to kill him. And they said, say it again with me, here comes the dreamer, the naive dreamer. Now, you can read about Joseph's spring in Genesis 37 and 39. Read 38 at your own risk, okay? It's just weird. But that's all, that's up to you. You can just go down that path if you want. But if you want, you can skip it. Pastor gave you permission. 37 and 39, and you'll read about Joseph's spring. And if you read about Joseph Spring, you'll read about a dreamer. You'll read about a naive, a naive, optimistic young man. And we have this impression that spring is just the best time of your life. And if you read 37 and 39, then you might begin to view spring a little differently. And it's important that you do. Here's what I want you to ponder as we get ready to wrap up today. It might be spring for you if there is something new in your life. It doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what it is. There's something new in your life. There is a portion of your life that is in spring. And it's important that you discern that. It's important that you identify it and embrace it. If you're in a new job, that's in spring. If you are engaging in some new endeavor, doesn't matter what it is whether it's a, a hobby or, or some effort, school, something you're learning that's gonna benefit you later then you are in spring. If you just retired, you may think this feels like autumn or moving toward winter. If you just retired, you're in spring because this is new. You've never done that before. We found out that we're gonna be grandparents. So spring is coming. Spring is coming for us. You know Why? I've never been a grandfather before. I have no idea what it's like. And so we talk to grandparents who have been grandparents for a while. We say, what advice do you have for grandparents? And we've gotten literally the same answer from every grandparent with experience. They say, they just don't even hesitate. Keep your nose out of it. That's what they say. And, w- and we say, well, it sounds like there's a story behind that. And then here comes the story, right? And we wouldn't have guessed that. And We, we, we raise kids. Aren't they going to be asking us, how should we raise our kids? See, that's what we thought. That's what we thought. So we're learning. We're learning. And you know, this is what spring is about. It, regardless of whatever portion of life you find yourself in the big arc, and the metaphor of seasons, you have a spring in your life. And this spring means that you are a beginner. That's what it means. It means that you don't know. I don't care how long you've lived, you don't know. And you don't even know what you don't know. That's how much a beginner you are. And spring is full of hope and promise, but it's also full of incredible and difficult, hard work. That's what spring is about. In fact, when you think about the activities of spring, if there is a a time or a purpose for every activity under heaven, and we understand the nature of the seasons, then spring is all about this. Spring is the right time to prepare, to sow, to plant, to cultivate, to learn. We're talking about plowing the ground. We're talking about digging into the dirt, just for the purpose of, of aerating and, and mixing up nutrients. We're talking about you taking seeds and planting seeds in places where you don't have any idea whether it's even gonna take root and grow or not. We have some family members this year, they, they just moved to Colorado. And so we were talking about this with them. They're trying to figure out their relationships, their new friendships. They moved from Kentucky to Douglas County here in Castle Rock and they have a few friends, me, my wife, our son, his wife, that's it. They don't know anybody else. And everybody else that they're meeting, they are potential friends. And so their relational world is what? It's in the spring, isn't it? And so what do they have to do? I mean, they're 35 years old. They have to prepare plant seeds they have to they have to essentially go back to their kindergarten memories and go out and you know make good friends and figure out what relationships might stick and for every one seed they plant they've got to plant six more in hopes that one will take root and this is new it's a new part of their life so here's the question for you which part of your life Which relationship, which endeavor is in spring right now? Which is it? If you don't have one, you should go find one. Because you need to be in spring. Somewhere, somehow, some part. It's important for your growth. It's important for you to expand. It's important for you to keep this beginner mindset that is so critical to learning and understanding, to wisdom. And when we understand this, then we begin to do this work. Now, when you consider the activities of spring, this preparing and plowing, sowing and planting and cultivating, when you think about this list and think about the nature of spring, then you understand this, that there is an immense amount of effort and energy and almost nothing to show for it. All of it happens underground. All of it happens without any sense of fruit and harvest and result. It is all incredibly difficult. Contrary to the way we think about spring, spring is not easy. It's hard. It's very hard. It is full of optimistic promise and hope. But all of that is yet to be seen in fruition. This is a difficult time and it's very, very hard. And when you read this story of Joseph, then you begin to see all of this taking place. We also learned something about spring when we moved to Colorado that we didn't know when we lived back east in Kentucky and Indiana. Back in Kentucky and Indiana, spring starts with a nice blanket of gray it's most of winter, but it's gray and rainy, and you know everything starts to get green pretty early, and it's beautiful. Spring is amazing. It's amazing in more uh, rain, rainy climates. In Colorado, spring starts, a bulb comes up out of the ground, and it's covered with two feet of snow, <laughs> and it's killed. It's just dead. You're like, well, that was pretty for the two minutes it was out. It was great. And then it starts again, and then another foot of snow, and then a freeze. In Colorado, spring has, you know, fits and starts. It, it, it makes an effort, and then it seems to be gone. And spring just kind of comes in this sort of herky-jerky sort of way. It's beautiful in its own way because we can have summer on February 2nd, and then we're back in the middle of the depths of winter. And this is the nature of spring this is how it happens now if you're especially if you're past past 40 you should be looking for a spring something in your life whatever it is and that can happen with a with a hobby or a friendship it can happen with any number of things but you ought to be searching for it and looking for it because it brings about a bit of planned adversity in our life that keeps us young and thoughtful, sharp, and growing. Now, when you begin to read about the difficulty of Joseph's spring and the pain that he experienced and the ups and the downs and the adversity and the trials and the unbelievable, unthinkable beginning of his story being forsaken by his brothers... There is one refrain that is repeated over and over and over again. And this is true for the season you're in right now. Doesn't matter whether it's spring or summer, winter or fall. Doesn't matter. There is a refrain that is true that is repeated for us. And it's spoken to Joseph and about his life. And it simply says in Genesis 39, three times specifically say it with me. You ready? The Lord was with Joseph, and God is with you too, right now, in the season that you're in. Whether it's a full-on spring, or bits of winter, a little bit of fall, and spring in this one spot, the Lord is with you in the things that you're trying to learn, the things that you are failing to learn, and the ways that he is guiding your life. So here's how we'll pray, that you would walk with an assurance of this truth, and the knowledge of this and the understanding of it, and that you would lean into this area of life that is your spring. Let's pray together. So right now, with just your heads bowed and eyes closed and our crew that's online today, do the same at home, wherever you are. Call to mind the area of your life, or the spot, relationship, endeavor that you think might be in spring. It's whatever is new in your life. could be a new difficulty this is how Joseph would have felt as he experiences the rage and the hatred of his, of his brothers finds himself in a spot where he doesn't want to be at all that might be your spot and, and it could be that you would never have previously identified this uh, this trial in your life as a spring they don't seem to go together but they do Now hold that spring up before God, that, that relationship or that part of your life, hold it up before God. Naming it as such, calling it spring is the first step towards understanding what kinds of things would Solomon say in Ecclesiastes, what kind of activities, what kind of endeavors under heaven, Should be about my business these days? Where should my focus be? Ask God that very question Where should my focus be? Is it plowing? Is it sowing? Cultivating? How do you want me to do this, Lord? Where do you want my focus to be? Where should I spend my energy? Lord, help us to discern this season well, whatever it is. Help us to understand it. Lord, this week as we, uh, many of us read the story of Joseph, help us to see with this lens, this, this story unfolding, this life. Help us to see our story in it. Lord we believe that even in the midst of difficulty you are with Joseph and we believe that you are with us today. And as we ponder and consider how we can best discern the seasons help us to be about the work that you've set in front of us. We believe that you are the God of spring even on a day in Colorado when it it might it might get over zero degrees. We know underneath this blanket of snow and frozen ground that there are seeds that have been planted bulbs that will remain there for several more weeks, but they'll come forth with new life. And so we pray for that new life. And so for the folks in our church family that are dealing with new seasons, new, new kids, new relationships, new retirement, new careers, new jobs, I pray that they would see this, this spring with a sense of optimism and, and even a bit naive believing and knowing that, that you are about the work of creating new, new life. You make us new every day. And so, Lord, in this, this cold winter morning as we sing about the springtime, would you do something new in us? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.